Chapter Eleven of Bunyan's Characters, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maggie Travers. Bunyan's Characters, Volume Two, by Alexander White. Chapter Eleven. Mr. Skill. The Vine of Sodom. Moses. With infinite delicacy, John Bunyan here tells us the sad story of Matthew's sore sickness at the House Beautiful. The cause of the sore sickness, its symptoms, its serious nature, and its complete cures are all told with the utmost plainness, but at the same time with the most exquisite delicacy. Bunyan calls the ancient physician who is summoned in and who effects the cure Mr. Skill, but you must believe that Bunyan himself is Mr. Skill, and I question if this skillful writer ever wrote a more skillful page than just this page that now lies open before him who has the eyes to read it. Matthew, it must always be remembered, was by this time a young man. He was the eldest son of Christiana, his mother, and for some time now she had been a sorely burdened widow. Matthew's father was no longer near his son to watch over him and to warn him against the temptations and the dangers that wait on opening manhood. And thus his mother, with all her other cares, had to be both father and mother to her eldest son, and with all her good sense and all her long and close acquaintance with the world, she was too fond a mother to suspect any evil of her eldest son. And thus it was that Christiana had nearly lost her eldest son before her eyes were opened to the terrible dangers he had for a long time been running. For it was so that the upward way that this household without a head had to travel lay through a land full of all kinds of dangers both to the bodies and to the souls of such travelers as they were. And what well-nigh proved a fatal danger to Matthew lay right in his way. It was Beelzebub's orchard. Not that this young man's way lay through that orchard exactly, yet walled up as was that orchard with all its forbidden fruit, that evil fruit would hang over the wall so that if any lusty youth wished to taste it, he had only to reach up to the overhanging branches and plash down on himself some of the forbidden bunches. Now, that was just what Matthew had done. Till we have him lying at the house beautiful, not only not able to enjoy the delights of the house and of the season, but so pained in his bowels and so pulled together with inward pains that he sometimes cried out as if he were being torn to pieces. At that moment, Mr. Skill, the ancient physician, entered the sick room, when, having a little observed Matthew's intense agony, with a certain mixture of goodness and severity, he recited these professional verses over the trembling bed. O conscience, who can stand against thy power? Endure thy gripes and agonies one hour? Stone, gout, strapado, racks, whatever is dreadful to sense, are only toys to this. No pleasures, riches, honors, friends can tell how to give ease to this. Tis like to hell. And then, turning to the sick man's mother, who stood at the bed's head, wringing her hands, the ancient leech said to her, This boy of yours has been tampering with the forbidden fruit. At which the angry mother turned on the well-approved physician as if he had caused all the trouble he had come to cure, but the ancient man knew both the son and the mother too, and therefore he addressed her with some asperity. I can tell you both that strong measures must be taken instantly, else he will die. 
when mr skill had seen that the first purge was too weak he made him one to the purpose and it was made as he so learnedly said ex carne et sanguine christi the pills were to be taken three at a time fasting in half a quarter of a pint of the tears of repentance after some coaxing such as mothers know best how to use matthew took the medicine and was soon walking about again with a staff and was able to go from room to room of the hospitable and happy house understandest thou what thou readest said philip the deacon to queen candace's treasure as he sat down beside him in the chariot and opened up to him the fifty-third of the prophet isaiah and understandest thou what thou here readest in matthew and mr skill One now on this almost too closely veiled case i shall venture to remark in the first place that multitudes of boys grow up into young men and go out of our most godly homes and into a whole world of temptation without due warning being given them as to where they are going i do marvel that none did warn him of it said mr skill with some anger what matthew's father might have done in this matter had he been still in this world when his son became a man in it we can only guess as it was it never entered his mother's too fond mind to take her fatherless boy by himself when she saw beelzebub's orchard before him and tell him what solomon told his son and to point out to him the prophecy that king lemuel's mother prophesied to her son poor matthew was a young man before his mother was aware of it and poor woman she only found that out when mr skill was in the sick-room and was looking at her with eyes that seemed to say to her that she had murdered her child she had loved too long to look on her first-born as still a child when he went at any time for a season out of her sight she had never followed him with her knowledge of the world she had never prevented him with an awakened and an anxious imagination till now she had got him home with no rest in his bones because of his sin and then she began to cry too late oh naughty boy and oh careless mother what shall i do for my son two that food to wit that fruit said mr skill is even the most hurtful of all it is the fruit of beelzebub's orchard so it is there is no fruit that hurts at all like that fruit how it hurts at the time we see in matthew's sick-room and how it hurts all a man's after-days we see in jacob and in job and in david and in a thousand sin-sick souls of whose psalms of remorse and repentance the world cannot contain all the books that should be written and yet i marvel said the indignant physician that none did warn him of it many have died thereof oh if i could but get the ears of all the sons of godly fathers and mothers who are beginning to tamper with beelzebub's orchard trees i feel as if i could warn them to-night and out of this text of what they are doing i have known so many who have died thereof oh if i could but save them in time from those gripes of conscience that will pull them to pieces on the softest and the most fragrant bed that shall ever be made for them on earth it will be well with them if they do not lie down torn to pieces on their bed in hell and curse the day they first plashed down into their youthful hands the vine of sodom both the way to hell and the way to heaven are full of many kinds of hurtful fruits but that species of fruit that poor misguided matthew plucked and ate after he had well passed the gate that is at the head of the way is by all men's testimony by far the most hurtful of all forbidden fruits 
three the whole scene in matthew's sick-room reads after all less like a skillful invention than a real occurrence inventive and realistic as john bunyan is there is surely something here that goes beyond even his genius after making all allowance for bunyan's unparalleled powers of creation and narration i am inclined to think the oftener i read it that after all we have not so much john bunyan here as very nature herself yes john gifford surely was mr skill sister bosworth surely was matthew's mother and matthew himself was sister bosworth's eldest son while one john bunyan a travelling tinker was busy with his furnaces and his soldering irons in dame bosworth's kitchen young bunyan with all his black guardianism had never plashed down beelzebub's orchard he swears he never did and we are bound to believe him but young bosworth had been tampering with the forbidden fruit and gifford saw at a glance what was wrong john gifford was first an officer in the royalist army then a doctor in bedford and now a baptist puritan pastor and the young tinker looked up to gifford as the most wonderful man for learning in books and in bodies and souls of men in all the world and when gifford talked over young bosworth's bed half to himself and half to them about a medicine made ex carne a sanguine christi the future author of the pilgrim's progress never forgot the phrase at a glance gifford saw what was the whole matter with the sick man and painful as the truth was to the sick man's mother and humiliating with lifelong humiliation to the sick man himself gifford was not the man or the minister to beat about the bush at such a solemn moment this boy has been tampering with that which will kill him unless he gets it taken off his conscience and out of his heart immediately now this same divination into our pastoral cases is by far and away the most difficult part of a minister's work it is easy and pleasant with a fluent tongue to get through our pulpit work but to descend the pulpit stairs and deal with life and with this and that sin in the lives of our people that is another matter we must labor says richard baxter in his reformed pastor to be acquainted with the state of all our people as fully as we can both to know the persons and their inclinations in conversation to know what sins they are most in danger of what duties they neglect and what temptations they are most liable to for if we know not their temperament or their disease we are likely to prove but unsuccessful physicians but when we begin to reform our pastorate to that pattern we are soon compelled to set down such entries in our secret diary as that of thomas shefford of harvard university sabbath fifth april sixteen forty one nothing i do nay none under my shadow prosper i so want wisdom for my place and to guide others yes for what wisdom is needed for the place of a minister like john gifford john bunyan richard baxter and thomas shefford what wisdom what divine genius to dive into and divine the secret history of a soul from a twinge of conscience even from a drop of the eye a tone of the voice or a gesture of the hand or of the head and yet with some natural taste for the holy work with study with experience and with lifelong expert reading even a plain minister with no genius but with some grace and truth may come to great eminence in the matters of the soul and then 
with what an interest solemn and awful with what a sleepless interest such a pastor goes about among his diseased sin-torn and scattered flock all their souls are naked and open under his divining eye they need not tell him where they ail and of what sickness they are nigh unto death that food he says with some sternness over their sick-bed i warned you of it i told you with all plainness that many have died of eating that fruit we must be ready baxter continues to give advice to those that come to us with cases of conscience a minister is not only for public preaching but to be a known counsellor for his people's souls as the lawyer is for their estates and the physician is for their bodies and because the people are grown unacquainted with this office of the ministry and their own necessity and duty herein it belongeth to us to acquaint them herewith and to press them publicly to come to us for advice concerning their souls we must not only be willing of the trouble but draw it upon ourselves by inviting them here too to this end it is very necessary to be acquainted with practical cases and able to assist them in trying their states one word of seasonable and prudent advice hath done that good that many sermons would not have done for as he went on pounding and preparing his well-approved pill the at the bottom of his heart kind old leech talked encouragingly to the mother and to her sick son and said come come after all do not he too much cast down had we lived in the days of the old medicine i would have been compounding a purge out of the blood of a goat and the ashes of a heifer and the juice of hyssop but i have a far better medicine under my hands here this moment i will make you a purge to the purpose and then the learned man half doctor half divine chanted again the sacred incantation as he bent over his pestle and mortar saying ex carne et sanguine christi those shrewd old eyes soon saw that in spite of all their defences and all their denials damage had been done to the conscience and the heart that nothing would set right but a frank admission of the evil that had been done and a prompt submission to the regimen appointed and the medicine prepared and how often we ministers puddle and peddle with goat's blood and heifer's ashes and hyssop juice when we should instantly prescribe stern fasting and secret prayer and long spaces of repentance and then the body and the blood of christ how often our people cheat us into healing their hurt slightly how often they succeed in putting us off after we are called in with their own account of their cases and set us out on a wild goose chase i myself have more than once presented young men in their trouble with apologetic books university sermons and watered-down explanations of the confession and the catechism when had i known all i came afterwards to know i would have sent them bunyan's sighs from hell i have sent soul-sick women also the bruised reed and the mission of the comforter with sympathizing inscriptions and sweet scriptures written inside when had i had mr skill's keen eyes in my stupid head i would have gone to them with a total abstinence pledge in my one hand and jeremy taylor's holy living and dying in my other no diet but that which is wholesome almost in anger answered the sick man's mother i tell you the honest leech replied in more anger this boy has been tampering with beelzebub's orchard and many have died of it five 
It is while all the rest of the house beautiful were supping on lamb and wine, and while there was such music in the house that made Mercy exclaim over it with wonder, it was at the smell of the supper and at the sound of the psalmody that Matthew's gripes seized upon him worse than ever. All the time the others sat late into the night, Matthew lay on the rack pulled to pieces. After William Law's death at King's Cliff, his executors found among his most secret papers a prayer he had composed for his own alone use on a certain communion day when he was self-debarred from the Lord's table. I do not know for certain just what fruit the young non-juror had stolen out of Beelzebub's orchard before that communion season, but I can see that he was in poor Matthew's exact experience that communion night, literally torn to pieces with agonies of conscience while all his fellow worshippers were at the table of the Lord. While the psalms and hymns are being sung at the supper table, lay your ear to law's closet door, whilst all thy faithful servants are on this day offering to thee the comfortable sacrifice of the body and the blood of Christ, and feasting at that holy table which thou hast ordained for the refreshment, joy, and comfort of their souls. I, unhappy wretch, full of guilt, am justly denied any share of these comforts that are common to the Christian world. O oh my God, I am an unclean worm, a dead dog, a stinking carcass, justly removed from that society of saints who this day kneel about thine altar. But, oh, suffer me to look toward thy holy sanctuary. Suffer my soul again to be in the place where thine honor dwelleth. Reject not the sacrifice of a broken heart. And do thou be with me in secret, though I am not fit to appear in thy public worship. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Lord, speak but the word, and thy servant shall be healed. It is the fruit of Beelzebub's orchard. Many have died thereof. 6. Pray, sir, make me up twelve boxes of them, for if I can get these, I will never take other physique. These same pills, he replied, are good also to prevent diseases as well as to cure when one is sick. But, good woman, thou must take these pills no other way but as I have prescribed them, for if you do, they will do no good. I have taken one illustration from William Law's life. I shall take another from that world of such illustrations and so close. O oh God, let me never see such another day as this. Let the dreadful punishment of this day never be out of my mind. And it never was. For after that day in hell, Law never laid down his head on his pillow that he did not seem to remember that dreadful day. William Law would have satisfied Dr. Skill for a convalescent, for he never felt that he had any right to touch the body and blood of Christ, either at communion times or a thousand times every day, till he had again got ready his heart of true repentance. My brethren, self-destroyed out of Beelzebub's orchard, and all my brethren live a life henceforth of true repentance not out of the sins of your youth only, but out of the best, the most watchful, and the most blameless day you ever live. Distill your half-pint of repentance every night before you sleep. For, as dear old Skill said, unless you do, neither flesh nor blood of Christ, nor anything else, will do you any genuine good. End 
of chapter 11. Recording by Maggie Travers.